The following pre-recorded program is paid for by SSI Guardian. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg with your host, psychologist and author, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Living Well with Dr. Peg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics brought to you by SSI Guardian. Living Well with Dr. Peg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well and staying safe. To listen to previous episodes, learn more about Dr. Peg's mental health and safety workshops, or to register for an upcoming VIP personal transformation retreat. Visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Hello, listeners. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you ready to do something different for a change? If so, I'd like to invite you to participate in one of my upcoming Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreats. Start off the new year by taking time to reflect on where you've been, determine where you want to go, and identify effective strategies to get you there. My full-day VIP small group retreats are a time of refreshment, reflection, and strategic planning that will accelerate your personal transformation and help you walk in freedom and purpose. Reserve your spot in a Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat by going to drpegradio.com. Well, welcome to another episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, and we're coming to you from Denver, Colorado, and streaming around the world online and from your smartphone apps. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, be sure to go to drpegradio.com for the program archives and also check out information about the show, our sponsor, and how you can take advantage of my mental health, wellness, and safety consulting services, workshops, retreats, and books. Well, I am so pleased to have on the show today General Michael Gould, who's a retired lieutenant general in the United States Air Force, who also has experience as an administrator, college player, and coach with the U.S. Air Force Academy. Most recently, General Gould was the supervisor of the U.S. Air Force Academy, and he served on the inaugural College Football Playoff Selection Committee, and we've got some people in the studio excited about that, General Gould. Uh, General Mike Gould, thank you so much for your service, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Peggy. It's fun to be here with you. Yes, thanks for coming up from the Springs, Colorado Springs. You had some business today in Denver that we'll be talking about with the Children's Hospital of Colorado. Um, but we've got a whole lot of other things we want to talk about first. And um, we have we met through our association with SSI Guardian, which, as my listeners, listeners know, is our sponsor of this program. And SSI Guardian is a leader in advanced safety education and training. And as a military man, of course, you know a lot about safety and security with your military background. So I really want to start off uh, giving the listeners a, an opportunity just to get to know you better and to to discover how you uh, what your path how how you ended up where you are. It's right. just uh, not every day we have a three star general <laughs> in our midst and on the, on the show today. So I'm really excited to have you here. Um, so tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and your background and how you ended up as a cadet at the Air Force Academy. You bet. I I grew up in Ohio, mm. um, Northeast Ohio at Kent State University. Yeah. Actually, Dad was on the faculty there. All and, right. Uh, came time for 
deciding on a college and uh, Air Force and, and several other schools had had uh, shown some interest in me as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about as, as much as a student, but <laughs> a student athlete, let's there put it go. that way. Yeah. But uh, I was recruited and ended up ca- uh, coming to the Air Force Academy. Um, like you say, I played played football there and went through the four years of, of character and leadership development, mm-hmm. graduated in 1976 as a second lieutenant, okay. and uh, honestly thought I'd, I'd – fulfill my commitment, which at the time was uh, five years after pilot training, and uh, thought I'd transition back to the civilian world and be a, a, a coach or an airline mm. pilot or maybe a little each. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the lifestyle and the opportunities and the challenges of Air Force life mm. uh, just sort of captured me mm-hmm. and ended up staying in for 38 and a, uh, years wow. and, a, and a couple months. Yeah. Uh, met my wife. We had a wonderful family. Moved all over the world and uh, settled back here in Colorado Springs after mm-hmm. my assignment as superintendent at the Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like what you're saying. It was kind of that challenge, the lifestyle, the opportunities, and the challenge of being in the Air Force um, appealed to you. Well, it does, and it it's kind of uh, sneaky how that <laughs> comes. I, I think a lot of our uh, people who who join either enlist in the military or or go through a commissioning uh, program, not everybody thinks that that it'll be a career. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a sense of service that uh, that just latches on to you, and mm-hmm. it it gives you a good feeling to know that you're doing something good. And uh, like I said, it's uh, you're not going to get rich, but the lifestyle mm-hmm. is comfortable, mm-hmm. and uh, just that sense of service yeah. is what what drew me. Yeah, yeah, and I think that is a special kind of person that's drawn by that because not everyone wants to and not everyone succeeds and we'll talk a little bit about that what it takes to really succeed and to last and and to distinguish yourself as you did in your career Uh, what would you say are some of um, the highlights of your air force air force academy career as a student and as an athlete as a cadet at the academy um it's it's four years of pretty intense education Mm -hmm. and training and uh you know, you just meet some of the best friends ever because you go through this yeah. common uh, shared experience called uh, four years at the mm-hmm. Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. And, and West Point and Annapolis are the same mm-hmm. way. So you do. You develop lifelong friends. And uh, the highlight, uh, once once I f- graduated from the academy, went off to pilot training. And in my first assignment is where I met my wife, mm-hmm. Paula, okay. who is also a pilot. And, cool. uh you know, our family just grew from there. We have two boys who uh, were both born in Colorado at the Air Force Academy when mm-hmm. I had one of my early assignments back there. Um, but, you know, oftentimes people ask, what was your favorite assignment? Yeah. And uh, they, they're all incredible experiences, mm-hmm. and we don't really have a favorite. We we love Colorado, and that's why we decided to stay here mm-hmm. after uh, retiring. But um had several tours in Washington, D.C., and in the Pentagon and in the White House mm-hmm. and the War College and uh, overseas assignment. And uh, we, we just enjoyed it. And uh, our, our kids flourished from it. In yeah. fact, uh, both of our boys went to four different high schools because oh, I was in positions at that time where they were moving us pretty regularly. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids af- after moving so much would not be inclined to, to have a, a similar career. But both boys went to and graduated from the Air Force. Wow. 
academy and uh, they're out serving right now oh, so excellent it turned out okay for the for the kids yeah. as well so a family that flies together stays together <laughs> so that must be fun to to you know when when young people fight over who gets to ride shotgun <laughs> you guys are all fighting over the pilots there seat, you huh? go. all right so say a little bit more about um what your air force academy experience was like i i've been um, listening to an audio book um that's really fascinating, written by a psychologist, Angela Duckworth. And the name of the book is called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And, and Dr. Duckworth, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show. Um, she opens the book talking about uh, West Point cadets and their initial training experience that's de- designed to test the very limits of the cadets' physical and intellectual, um, emotional, mental capacities. And she notes in the book that one in 20 West Point cadets drop out before um, this, that grueling summer is over. There's an initial grueling summer of training. And one in 20 will drop out. And she says the differentiator of who, who survives and who doesn't is uh, what she calls grit. Um, and she defines it as passion and perseverance for long-term goals. And she says it's not necessarily the most physically fit who survive the training, which is kind of our image of from the movies, you know, the ones who can do all the push-ups in the mud and run the 10-mile, you know, runs without falling out. Uh, but she says it's the ones who survive are the ones with grit. Um, and she says uh, the achievement of difficult goals uh, ent- entails not only talent, but that sustained and focused application of talent over time. Can you relate to that story? I, I can. I want to go read Grit. Yeah, it's I think an outstanding I've, I've book. I've lived through yeah. some of that, and I've certainly watched those with grit uh, succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our biggest challenges at the academy was always uh, recruiting and um, offering appointments to mm-hmm. the most qualified young men and women. And there are a lot of different ways of measuring, you know, what's in the head, mm-hmm. what, what's in the hands and the physical. Yes. But you, you can't so easily measure what's in the heart. Mm-hmm. And, and is there that perseverance, uh, some of those uh, qualities that are going to get you through the hard times. That's that's something we uh, we model and and we try to find those young people who who will demonstrate it. But you never really know till they get there. Mm. And um, the, you mentioned the the attrition uh, stat from West Point. Um, over time at our Air Force Academy, we lose about twenty five percent of all those who enter wow. before graduation. And a lot of those are front loaded during basic training. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is. It's a it's a difficult experience, like uh, you'll find in all the services. But uh, those who who have those intangibles that uh, it sounds like are in, encapsulated in grit, um, they do succeed, and mm-hmm. it's fun to watch them when they do. Yeah, and you can. Um, she has an online uh, assessment to measure your grit score. Uh, relative to the rest of the population. And so it's a really fascinating thing to take a look at. Mine was kind of in the medium area. And she says it really depends on what it is that that you're focused on. So our grit in any given area uh, may be higher or lower than some other area that we're really extremely passionate about. And um, it sounds like how you were saying the lifestyle and just the challenge really drew you and attracted you. So you had real grit for that military service. Well, I, I remember back to uh, our basic training, and, and I don't know why this sticks in my head, but we uh, we had a psychologist come in and, and probably had 75 or 80 cadets, mm-hmm. basic cadets, in a 
uh, lectinar room. And most people don't ever forget that psychologist. Well, I know. <laughs> we it, leave that kind of impression well, on people. I think they had, <laughs> you bet. They'd given us a test maybe, and then they said, now we're going to play a little game here. And they wanted everybody in the room to put their arms out at, uh, you know, parallel with the ground and just hold their arms out mm. as long as they could. And so all 75 of us or whatever stood up. And while we were standing there with our arms out, they were talking to us about perseverance and, mm. and uh, they, they were essentially saying, you know, whoever can keep your arms out the longest, we would be willing to bet we'll succeed here at the academy. Wow. So they throw this little challenge out there <laughs> and you got a bunch of type A high achievers to begin with. But pretty soon you saw people thinking, you know, this is stupid. And so they put their hands down. They were clearly strong enough mm. and fit enough yeah. where they could have. And and I remember just being a boneheaded young 18-year-old, I said, I'm going to keep my arms out here until they make me put them down. <laughs> and I did. And I don't know if it was 10 or 12 or 15 wow. minutes or whatever. <laughs> but I watched others just say, I'm not going to do this yeah, anymore. Yeah, this is silly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was something to that. You know, there's yeah, a message. And yeah. uh, so sometimes you hang in there long enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you make up your mind, I, I've interviewed people um, time and time again, um, regardless of kind of the walk of life or what our topic is, uh, the the consistent theme is having a made-up mind. I have a made-up mind, whatever it might be, uh, from someone who's um, uh, in and out of jail and finally turns their life around. I've in- interviewed someone in that situation, and he just said, I had a made-up mind, I mm. wasn't going back. Or someone in a domestic violence situation, or someone who just uh, wants to make a change in their lives. They make up their mind they're going to do it, and it's amazing the things you can do. You bet. Yeah. Just do it. In in the book Grit, uh, she also shares a story um, that uh, Will Smith talked about, the actor, and he said if he's, on, he's at the gym on the treadmill and there's someone next to him, he's either going to get off after them or he's going to die. <laughs> he's not going to let them be on that treadmill longer than I him. I love it. And it yeah. doesn't matter if, you know, he's been there two hours since then and they just arrived five minutes ago. He makes sure he's getting off last or he's going to die. <laughs> so that's true grit. Now talk about um, grit in terms of your actual military service. It's one thing to get through the academy and to hold your arms up longer yeah. than anyone else. But um, what are some of the types of experiences either you've had or your your fellow soldiers have had and, and officers have had uh, where really it, our theme today really is perseverance and grit, uh, where that stands out for you? Well, I, I went to pilot training and, and uh, flew a bunch of different airplanes. And, you know, over the course of uh, from 76 to 2013, uh, you can you can look back at some of the conflicts we've been involved mm-hmm. in, and Desert Shield, Desert Storm was uh, really the first major thing that we had going. And of all things, I, here I am, a trained pilot, and I'm in Washington, D.C. during that mm-hmm. time in a staff position. In fact, I was at the White House working for President uh, Bush 41. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see the challenges of leadership from the commander-in-chief's perspective, you know, as an aide there to the president— while I had good friends who had they were at the peak of their game flying mm-hmm. airplanes in combat, and uh, you know it's just you 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 end up uh, serving wherever you're told to serve, um, and then you know I had several tours like I say in in Washington and then back out into operational assignments flying airplanes and got involved uh, you know a lot of time away mm-hmm. um, away from the family at. Uh, holidays and birthdays and 
anniversaries and the rest. And, uh, you know, the more senior I got as a commander, um, having experienced some of those hardships and the sacrifices, it was important that, that I could draw on that experience to make sure that the younger people who worked under me um, were taken care of because they were as mm-hmm. homesick and mm-hmm. uh, and tired and hungry and, uh, you know, living oftentimes in some pretty Spartan conditions that uh, the leadership aspect now is making sure they have what they need mm-hmm. and that they can get that call home when necessary and, you know, their their boots are keeping their feet warm and just the basic things. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's all about the the leadership and experiences that we go through through, mm-hmm. through the course of a career. Mm-hmm. And what kinds of things would you say shaped your leadership philosophy and, and um, how, how you chose to, to lead as a, as the superintendent of the air force Academy? I, I really think most of us form our, uh, uh, the way we behave as, as leaders or, or commanders uh, in any walk of life. You, you, you base it on, watching people who have mm-hmm. been in those roles, uh, some good role models, some not so good. Mm-hmm. But you uh, you hopefully are able to, uh, you know, to take the, the lessons of those who you admired mm-hmm. and follow them and discard the uh, the traits that you saw that weren't effective. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I've been blessed to be having been around some, some really impressive leaders uh, over my career and uh, I thank every one of them for, for what they gave me and my family in the way of example. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've just tried to, to follow that same example to be leaders for those under us. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know for you as an, as an athlete, college athlete and coach as well, that probably plays in there as well in terms of your coaching style. Um, I've observed, uh, I have um, two younger stepsons now, and my, my twins are 21 years old. And... Um, uh, observing over the years the different coaching styles and how some coaches can motivate and some, especially with youth athletics, some coaches really demoralize. And right. you can see some uh, young athletes who may have been passionate and excited about participating in sports really get their spirits crushed by their coach. You bet. Uh, what can you say about that? Uh, I think you've highlighted the key thing is that uh, the power of influence that a coach has. Mm -hmm. Um, Many coaches spend more time with children at at various ages than uh, anybody else in their life, including their parents and and others. So coaches have a a tremendous influence Mm -hmm. over people, and uh, you just need to hope that 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 is a positive influence in every way. And and we see through... uh, you know, the media and other things, oftentimes athletes uh, do get sideways in their priorities. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps that's from uh, from something way in their past, or maybe it's because they didn't have a coach who was mm-hmm. uh, was holding them to a high standard. Mm-hmm. It, it's very important. Yeah. And it really impresses me the level of dedication that I see with some coaches. Uh, as you were saying, sometimes they spend more time um, with the children of the youth than their own parents do. Right. And I've seen coaches go that extra mile and pick up, you know, four or five kids and drop them off and um, work with them one-on-one after they've already had, you know, a couple hour long practices. Uh, and so really that dedication, but sometimes I, I imagine that desire to win and that since you've invested so much into it, sometimes that can, as you said, go a little bit sideways. It, it's the uh, the desire to win in life that's more important mm. than winning on the field yeah. on that given day, and that's 
that's a perspective that you know some coaches have and, and mm-hmm. others haven't quite grasped. Yeah. Well, say more about that because I think you know we think of that in terms of youth athletics and really um, training uh, children to understand it's the love of the game and working as hard as you can and leaving it all on the field or the court. But it really often uh, we lose sight of that goal. And I'd be curious for someone um, who's been involved in um, – college level um, athletics, and then even we'll be talking in a moment about um, uh, the college playoffs uh, and thinking about professionals. Do they ever lose sight of that? It's not only about winning, because I imagine on the professional level, yeah, it is about winning if you want to keep your job. So how do you find that balance in, in, in terms of um, coaching youth and trying to get them on the right path? Um, I, I coached the little ones uh, from the time our kids were able to first kick a soccer ball up through, uh, you know, when they got into organized sports in high school. And with, with the little ones on um, Little League Baseball and soccer, we, we just laid down the rules early on, and, and there were a couple priorities. And the first one was have fun. Mm-hmm. The second one was, was l- learn to listen to your coach. Mm. And the third rule, and this was all there were, were that team the team is more important than any of you as individuals. Mm-hmm. And – we never talked win winning or mm. losing. We talked about are you having fun? Yeah. Are you listening to your your mentor here, your coach, mm-hmm. and are you thinking about your teammates? Mm-hmm. And uh, as long as you keep it that simple, and you can continue with that mindset throughout the, the development of a young athlete, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be okay when they grow up. Yeah, yeah. Well, in listening to your coach, if the coach is thinking about winning, they'll probably give you the strategy. So if you're listening, yeah. hopefully you'll be successful in that regard. Yeah, what would you say about some of the um, professional athletes today who um, they've had every advantage? Um, uh, they've had wonderful coaching experiences. They've had a lot of success um, but then they, they, in terms of character and leadership and those types of qualities, they make bad choices. Um, and, of course, any of us can make any one bad choice. But when we see some habitual choices right. that are a reflection of character, what, what, what are your observations about that? I feel strongly that uh, there's a need for more awareness, more education, training about what it means to be a professional. Mm. And uh, take a, a young athlete who signs a, uh, a very lucrative contract, and they've got a jersey with a number on it, and they they belong to an organization with a big brand. That doesn't make them a professional. Mm. They they really need to be striving to uh, not just wear the badge, not just collect the paycheck, not just show up for work most of the time. Mm but really strive to be that level three or four professional that uh, is a role model and a mentor for other rookies, you Mm -hmm. know, the new ones who come in. And I uh, think about a guy like Peyton Manning and his value to a team. You know, we watched it here in Denver Mm -hmm. in in his final season. uh, He he didn't have all the physical tools that he Mm -hmm. once did, but he he was that that model to Mm -hmm. every single player on that team and his value – in the locker room, off the field, mm-hmm. was probably uh, even more important to the unity of that team than any any pass he ever threw or any you know check off he made at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And that I think that would be a good plumb line for any young athlete is professionalism. Even if you're not literally paid athlete, but to carry yourself with professionalism um, and and knowing that other people are watching, not only your teammates but the world. When we look at um, youth who 
make um, athletes their role models. It's important to know everyone's watching. It it really is, and I you know we've heard athletes over time saying, you know, hey, don't don't bother me with that. I'm not a role model. Mm-hmm. Well, being a role model is not a choice you make. <laughs> you you assume that by the position you're in, mm-hmm. and uh, you know any kind of celebrity, whether it's an athletic, uh, you know, somebody in ath- athletics, or if it's somebody in the in the evening news or in Hollywood, or you know, all sorts of uh, positions that you can find yourself in. Mm-hmm. You are a role model, like it or not. So let's right. act accordingly. Right. People are watching, and again, going through the United States. United States Air Force Academy, I'm sure that really is a part of the training and the philosophy in terms of developing leaders. We, we like people to you know, understand that, that you're, you're assuming um, certain responsibilities and, and we're going to hold you accountable. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's about maturity and it's mm-hmm. also about education and training and mm-hmm. repetition. And uh, we're awfully proud of the graduates we produce at the Air Force Academy, and uh, they're out doing great things for our country right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, we're going to take a break, uh, and when, we're, when we come back, we're going to talk football. All right. <laughs> College football playoffs, that is. I'm talking with uh, General Michael Gould of the United States Air Force, uh, retired. Uh, don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations. SSI Guardian QAL now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. With SRN News, I'm Val Dior. President-elect Trump has announced his choice for National Intelligence Director. It's former Indiana Senator Dan Coats. He was a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee before retiring from Congress last year. The post requires Senate confirmation. That winter storm that's been pounding the South continues to move north and east. Trucks and cars inching along icy roads from Alabama to Virginia. In North Carolina, cancellations at Raleigh's airport with few flights expected to arrive or depart today. Charlotte's airport says its operations are limited. The situation is a bit better in Atlanta with some takeoffs and landings. The brother of a man arrested for fatally shooting five people at a Florida airport is questioning why his brother was allowed to keep his weapon after the FBI knew he'd become increasingly paranoid and was hearing voices. Brian Santiago tells the AP the U.S. government failed, saying his brother had not emerged from anonymity to do something like this. SRN News. (laughs) 
If you are a Colorado veteran and you are not in a VA mortgage, you've probably been lied to. If you're a veteran and not in a VA mortgage, 99% guaranteed you are paying too high a rate, throwing away thousands of dollars a year to a bank that will never tell you they're taking you for a ride. As a vet, you're entitled to use a VA loan over and over again. You should be paying zero in mortgage insurance, and you can take out 100% of the value of your home for paying off credit cards. Your bank is never going to tell you how much you're throwing away, but I will. I'm Brian Murphy, owner of Front Range Mortgage, a local Colorado-only mortgage team that has helped hundreds of veterans to drop their mortgage insurance, save thousands, lowering their payments, and pay off high-interest credit cards. Call me and my local team for a painless five-minute conversation to see how much we can save you. Our number, 303-500-1900. That's 303-500-1900, or visit FrontRangeMortgage.com. And I'm last 378844, regulated by the Division of Real Estate. It's Eric and Angel inviting you to check out ExperienceProsDeals.com. New offers will be added frequently, so make sure you continue to check back with what offers are available. 50% off all the time at ExperienceProsDeals.com. Again, ExperienceProsDeals.com. This is the online marketplace where everything, yes, everything is listed for half price. Who doesn't love a good deal? We will even feature a pro pick of the week every single week. Hey everyone, it's Eric and Angel inviting you to check out ExperienceProsDeals.com. New offers will be added frequently, so make sure you continue to check back with what offers are available. 50% off all the time at ExperienceProsDeals.com. Again, ExperienceProsDeals.com. This is the online marketplace where everything, yes, everything is listed for half price. Who doesn't love a good deal? We will even feature a pro pick of the week every single week. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. My guest is General Michael Gould, who's a retired lieutenant general with the United States Air Force and former superintendent of the U.S. Air Force Academy. And in addition... General Gould was also on the inaugural selection committee for the college football playoffs. And so I know we've got some folks interested in that. My engineer, Don, is a football fan. And so we want to pick your brain, General Gould, about um, college football playoff. Now, we're recording this uh, interview um, a couple weeks prior to the the playoffs. Uh, So we don't know the outcome yet. We don't know who's going to be in there. But I want to talk about... um, uh, your experience uh, being on that inaugural committee for the college football playoff um, selection committee uh, back in 2014, was it? It was, Peggy. And uh, it, it, most of your uh, listeners would probably re- recall the uh, the BCS, the Bowl mm-hmm. Championship Series, ran for about 12 years. And uh, it was it was really a computer spit mm-hmm. out the, the top two teams okay. and they would play in a national championship game. And, and that was a step forward for people who had always wanted to have it settled on the field. But over time, there was um, more and more excitement about, hey, let, let's have a no-kidding playoff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they came up with a college football playoff selected by a committee of, of 13 individuals and uh, I was honored to be on that first uh, that inaugural committee I had for two years. Um, Craig Thompson, commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, nominated me. And uh, 
I went through the, the vetting process, which mm-hmm. I understand was extensive, and somehow or other ended up on the committee, which – uh, it, it was it was not not only fun. I mean, to watch football as a, <laughs> as a job, and and I say job, it was it's all volunteer. Yeah. Everybody uh, volunteers their time to do this. But uh, the the quality of the other members of this committee, as well as the staff that makes up the the college football playoff offices, uh, was just unsurpassed mm. in, in integrity and honesty and and judgment. People who had been in positions where they'd had to make tough decisions in, in whatever walk of life, mm-hmm. uh, not just in, in college football, but uh, good group of people, and we had a lot of fun, and I think we got it pretty close to being right the first two seasons. I don't know. I guess there's always some debate there, mm-hmm. but it's been good for the game of football um, and uh, generated a lot of excitement and um, passion with, mm-hmm. with uh, football fans <laughs> yes, and others. Yes, that's a good word to use, passion. Um, so talk a little bit more about um, that se- selection criteria. Um, I know that there are a couple of categories of who was eligible to be on, who is eligible to be on the selection committee, coaches, uh, student athletes, administrators, journalists, and sitting directors of athletics. And what, what was your experience with that combination of um, of uh, roles on, on the selection committee. It, it's uh, what it really points out when you look at the composition. We we had folks like former Secretary of State uh, Condi Rice, mm-hmm. uh, retired coach Tom Osborne, a uh, gentleman named Steve Weberg, who was a sports writer for USA mm-hmm. Today for years, and then we had the five athletic directors from mm-hmm. the the Power Five conferences, a um, couple former coaches and. Uh, and a, a retired general, you know, and, and there were t- people who would say, you know, well, what on earth does Dr. Rice know about football or who's this general? Why, yeah. uh, why would he be on there? But the idea was we're going to bring in people who, number one, have exhibited uh, uh, integrity throughout their careers and that they've been in positions to make hard mm-hmm. decisions, not necessarily popular decisions. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a, 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 you know, people from a wide variety of backgrounds, but uh, we gelled into uh, not a consensus organization. They were oftentimes um, heated arguments, yeah. and um, we, we didn't come to a consensus necessarily, but our task was to pick the best four teams to enter into this playoff on New Year's Day games, and then, uh, you know, the winners would go to the to the championship yeah. game. Yeah, well, to be a fly on the wall in those rooms, <laughs> and how do you win an argument with a retired general and Condoleezza Rice? <laughs> that, that's just it. It wasn't about winning arguments. It was about uh, telling your honest uh, opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we relied on, on our experience watching games mm-hmm. all season, we had access to a database of uh, statistics that would just roll <laughs> your eyes back if you could see everything. Um, and we had, like I say, discussions week, uh, week by week, mm-hmm. face-to-face in, uh, in the room in Dallas. And uh, we, we started with a clean sheet every week. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the, the normal uh, poll mentality that, you know, a team is ranked number three and they lose by five points, so... Now they're going to be number seven. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't do that. We started with a blank sheet of paper every week mm-hmm. and came out with uh, what we thought were the top 25 teams in the country. Mm-hmm. And talk about, give us, paint a picture for us, for all the sports fans out there and football fans out there. 
what it's like to have your um, mission control <laughs> set up of your television screens and your remotes and, and talk about the process of how you kept up on top of the games. The, uh, the executive director of the college football playoff is a gentleman named Bill Hancock, and he, he had a staff that uh, had worked the BCS and, and things for years. But, but Bill set up a process, and um, we would go to the, uh, the Gaylord in Dallas, just north of the airport, same conference room every week. Um, tables were, were set up with television monitors and individual computer screens for each of us. And that's how we went about our, our voting. Um, but the idea was let's, let's keep, you know, the, uh, the background and the routine and everything as standard as mm. we can so that when we come together, we can focus on the task at hand. And that is, uh, to pick the best four teams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, it, uh, like I say, the process was uh, was very thorough. But if it was, uh, you know, people who say, "Well, you know, pick two teams. Team A beat Team B head to head. So how could you possibly have B ahead mm-hmm. of A?" Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of factors in there. Yeah, that, uh, and say more about that because um, when we were talking earlier, you you made the point a couple times to say it's not computers it's human beings so right. say more about that of how team a could win but team b still gets selected well like i said we we take uh, everything into consideration from watching the game live on uh, saturday morning perhaps to uh, following up and looking at the tapes after the game mm. uh, to looking at statistics uh, you know think about things like you know, you, you got a team that scored 70 points one weekend, and you think, boy, they must have an awesome offense. But then you look at the relative scoring defense of the team they ran that uh, mm. that score up, and you realize, well, they, you know, it's not as impressive as it might have been. <laughs> um, but we, we looked at a wide variety of, uh, of inputs, and uh, when it came right down to it, we made our private vote, and um, – you know, it didn't matter if if the person sitting on either side of you was, uh, you know, adamantly opposed to to the team you wanted to put ahead. You still put down what was in your gut, mm. and at the end of the day, the uh, uh, the process was fair, as objective as possible, um, and we think it's it's better than a computer spitting these things out mm-hmm. because uh, there there are people involved in the decision. Mm-hmm. And and some people might might disagree with um, if you're looking at raw facts and numbers and data, the computer doesn't have the human uh, perception and human filter. But you're saying you believe that makes it superior, right? And and you could take uh, take this season for instance. You know, one of the considerations for those playoff teams is to have won a conference championship. It's not a hard and fast rule. Mm. You have to keep in mind that the overall objective is to pick who the individuals in the room think are the four best teams. And uh, so when you looked at uh, this year when the Big Ten champion didn't get in, but another team from the Big Ten did, uh, you know, that's that's because the, the people in the room felt that, uh, that one team was stronger than the other mm-hmm. and uh, best team. Yeah, not necessarily most deserving team. Okay, all right. And so uh, this is a pre-recorded program. We don't even know yet <laughs> who's playing. Do, 
you, would you care to make any public predictions? Well, we'll we'll see here in the in the prelims. Alabama and Washington will uh, will go head to head, and Ohio State and Clemson. And by the time this airs, I guess we will know we'll who know. won those two games. Uh, I'm going to stay out of the predicting uh, business. And and again, I wasn't on the committee mm-hmm. this year, but. Uh, just having the experience, I know what kind of discussions yeah, yeah. were going on behind those closed doors, and I'm proud of what the, the team came up with this year. Mm-hmm. I think they picked the four best teams in the country. Okay, all right. Well, kudos, kudos. Well, we're going to uh, shift gears a little bit, but kind of tie everything back together uh, with what we talked about in our first segment in terms of grit and perseverance um, and character and leadership. And I know that you're really involved with the Children's Hospital of Colorado. Uh, here, here, here locally, and um, that you're involved with some youth um, initiatives there. And um, can you t- just tell us a little bit about your role? You're on the board. Um, for I'm, I'm on Colorado the board Children's at Hospital. Uh, Children's of Colorado, and uh, I'm also involved with um, a nonprofit in Colorado Springs. It's called the Scott Hall Field of Dreams, mm. and uh, it's it's a startup initiative here where we have. Uh, some land that was set aside for uh, for public space back in the 70s. Uh, the land was actually named after, um, at the time, Mayor Larry Oaks. Hmm. And it went undeveloped for years. And now uh, Mayor Oaks' grandson, Craig, who uh, many people here in your region would, would remember, Craig is a quarterback up in Boulder and uh, played at CU for a couple years little bit of time in the NFL, and now Craig's back in town, and he's, he's going to follow through on this dream to wow. develop the land um, named after his grandfather. And uh, the theme, we're, we're developing it into uh, a youth athletic complex. And um, more than just that, more than a place uh, for, for competition and, and tournaments, but uh, really more of a wellness idea mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, working closely. In fact, we're, we're going to sign a, an agreement this afternoon with Children's Hospital and with the local YMCA in the Pikes Peak region right. for a partnership between these athletic fields, Children's Hospital, and the Y uh, to really get something that's going to get it at more than just sports for fun. Mm-hmm. But that, that character development and all the uh, the great things that come out of uh, youth sports. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to hear that fits right in with the theme of living well with Dr. Pegg. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear more about what's near and dear to General Gould's heart, working with youth in areas of sports and wellness. Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional evidence-based advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, 
SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit or CEU issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. I'm back with General Michael Gould, retired from the United States Air Force after 38 years of service. Thank you so much, General Gould, and thank you for your service. Uh, We're going to continue talking about your work with uh, the Children's Hospital and Scott Hall Field of Dreams. That's an awesome, awesome name. Um, So you're developing or they're developing a uh, youth sports complex and wellness center. So say more about the type of programming and the philosophy behind that. I I really like that it's a wellness center. The idea is, uh, like I say, to do more than just have an athletic uh, fields, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and concessions and parking and all like that. And that's why we're really excited about the partnership with, uh, with Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also uh, entertained the idea of a, uh, an aquatic center that mm. District 20 down in, in Colorado Springs uh, just had a, an issue in the, the latest election passed where there is some money mm-hmm. set aside for an aquatic center for the school district. We think we're going to be able to incorporate that into our our model, and um, also we're we're not quite to the uh, uh, past the conceptual stage. But Children's Hospital, uh, they, you know, they are building a new full up hospital in Colorado Springs, just a couple miles from our sports complex. But they they also envision a uh, a satellite facility, perhaps mm-hmm. a clinic, maybe they would call it, uh, connected with this. Uh, uh, athletic complex that we're building where, you know, you can take care of rehab for injuries. You can do education mm. for, uh, for parents, you know, whether you're talking concussions, which mm-hmm. are just prevalent in so many, uh, uh, sports soccer is, is one of the biggest ones, but, you know, so to have education, to have, uh, the ability to, to help moms and dads and, and the, the young ones actually understand what physically is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and sadly, Peggy, I, I'll tell you that uh, there's just a growing um, concern with uh, mental health issues mm-hmm. in, uh, in this generation of yeah. um, young athletes. And uh, we want to be able to address that as well. And that's where the idea of the wellness comes mm-hmm. in. Uh, it, it's something you have to... Uh, you have to address head on and, yeah. and uh, bring it up as, you know, and that's one of the reasons we think youth sports are so important because they, they teach you to, to deal with adversity mm-hmm. and then live to move on to the next day. Yes. And, uh, you know, those are life lessons that mm-hmm. they're not just uh, sports. Right. Uh, that's things. right. And we know with the, the prevalence of bullying and, and um, tragic suicides with youth, um, that having anywhere where a young person can come and feel like they fit in, that they're connected, that they have an adult that they can trust. Uh, We talked er in an earlier segment just about the the role of the coach. And so in terms of their holistic well-being and development, um, that it's not just about athletics, it it is also about emotional well-being as well, and having a place and people uh, where they can go to, to be connected. 
that's that's what we want to develop here. And uh, we've we've even talked with uh, Chad Hennings, who is mm-hmm. uh, you may re- he was a guest on my show. Okay, yeah. well you know Chad, he's mm-hmm. a great one, Outland Trophy winner, Dallas Cowboy uh, star, and he uh, he's a close friend and and is working. Uh, some character leadership mm-hmm. initiatives in the Dallas area that you've you've heard about, and uh, Chad and I talk often about uh, maybe including a, uh, you know, since we'll have all these fields, yeah. we're, we're talking about a, a character academy for uh, nice. lack of a better name yeah. right now, but where the kids can learn the the on field skills, run, jump, throw, catch, improve your your physical skills. And during those times when they're not on the field, they can they can be learning some character lessons yeah. through, uh, you know, listening to uh, to speakers, to uh, study, to film, and other things that that are going to help the development in in so many important areas off the field as well as, you know, develop those skills so that the scholarships maybe come downstream yes. and they it opens up more opportunities. Yes, and and, and you started out introducing yourself as a, a student athlete, <laughs> and sometimes we have athletes who forget about that, that right. it, it's right. not just about athletics. And um, even today to get a scholarship, you still have to be admitted to that institution uh, before you can play, and you have to be able to succeed academically uh, to continue your career. Uh, and so anything that can help with character development, as you said, perseverance, um, um, having a program in place that just develops the, the student holistically, the young person holistically is wonderful. You bet. And and one of the things we're, we're excited about with the uh, Field of Dreams, and especially with the partnership with the Y and Children's Hospital, is to have a safe place mm-hmm. for, for these activities to take place. Uh, you know, parents. Uh, we we joke about soccer moms and dads mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. they they run the the shuttle mm-hmm. service to get their kids around. We we want to have an environment here where parents can drop their kids and they are going to be safe mm-hmm. during that time. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing. You look at uh, at safe schools initiatives across the country, and uh, you know, we're right here at this time at the. Is it fifth anniversary of Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. I believe, and uh, sure brings back some some scary memories. And mm-hmm. there have been other attacks uh, over time. And uh, you know, it's another reason I'm involved with with SSI Guardian. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that uh, any initiative to make a learning environment safer for the kids is just going to enhance their ability to to grasp whatever it is you're trying to teach, whether it's it's sports or character or mm-hmm. uh, hardcore uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's right. And so uh, you make such an uh, important point that in order for students to succeed academically, personally, in whatever endeavor they're engaged in, they first have to feel safe. Um, when we talk about Maslow's hierarchy um, of needs, at the very bottom is air, water, food, but the very next level before we can really move to fulfill our potential is safety yep. and security. And so um, what kind of recommendations would you give to parents and families um, as they're um, out and about with their in their communities at work, taking their kids to school? Um, uh, uh, we know SSI Guardian as our sponsor is just a leader in providing information and training and education for safe schools, hospitals, businesses. Uh, but what kind of uh, practical tips can you give to parents or things to just be mindful of in terms of safety? That's a really good question, and it's something that, that too many people don't think about mm-hmm. it. You, you think about it here. We get into routines where 
you get in your car and you, you crank it up and you head the same route, same routine, same turns, and uh, your mind can, you know, maybe you're listening to the same radio program mm-hmm. and you're not focused on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, safety really begins with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Are you really thinking about what you're doing at, at any given moment? Mm-hmm. And uh, the more you can be engaged on every decision you make, whether it's, it's navigating a, a vehicle from point A to point B, or the decisions you're making as you go through your day, are are you aware of potential threats? And mm-hmm. and that's something that we want uh, school administrators to be thinking about, faculty members, um, students. You, you just can't assume that uh, that things are going to be routine and normal yeah. every day. So yeah. you got to be on your toes. You got to look for uh, for things that are out of place for individuals who maybe don't. Uh, uh, appear to be where they should be, mm-hmm. uh, and you need to speak up. And uh, you know, it's like guardian training is is really impressive in the way they'll come in and and get a, uh, a faculty, a uh, you know, staff administrators um, to you know understand what is going to happen at that school, mm-hmm. what should happen at that school, at the campus, wherever, um, in the event of a, of an attack of some sort, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we need to be on our toes, and yeah. you, you, want, you want the kids to be aware, too. Yeah, and so times are, are changing, and it's a hard topic to talk about. The show airs on a Saturday afternoon. Often families are in the car um, coming back from an activity or on their way somewhere, and um, I hope they are paying close attention to my show every week and to our interview today, but um, you're right. It's so important. Um, we have to talk about these things, not only for the adults to be educated, but also um, the, the young people. So uh, parents, if you're listening right now, this is an opportunity to talk with your children about um, uh, the violence around us and how to be prepared, how to be aware um, and equipped to keep yourself safe. And really, as you said, it starts with self-awareness, um, situational awareness, um, just as we've done um, fire drills in, in school. Um, there's coming a time now where we're needing to be aware and and having the students do lockdown drills and that kind of thing as well. That's true. And, you know, if parents, if you're, uh, you know, you go by the school and you're checking things out, just see if, what kind of door locks they have on mm-hmm. classrooms, mm-hmm. Uh, in the gymnasium, in uh, the administrative offices. Um, are there windows nearby that you can break and mm-hmm. enter? You know, there's there's a lot of things you just need to be aware of in that regard. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't see things that you think make good sense, then address it with the uh, with the administrators right. and and then look for programs like Guardian. I, mm-hmm. I tell you, I'm sold on on the training and uh, the material solutions they have mm-hmm. to keep schools safer, mm-hmm. so kids have a better environment to learn. Yeah, and um, just it's just a privilege and honor to have SSI Guardian as this program sponsor. And my listeners hear their their spots, their commercials um, each week on my program, and we we know firsthand, General Gould and I. Uh, just uh, how how stellar the training is. And so if you're in a position of uh, decision-making, um, I hope that you'll reach out to SSI Guardian for training to keep your family safe. And we'll end on the note, uh, General Gould, you talked about, if you see something, say something. You know. um, and um, at Community College of Aurora, where I volunteer on their behavioral intervention team, we also talk about if you sense something, do something, because we have instincts. Um, And as parents especially, we can tell something's not quite right. 
Uh, General Michael Gould, thank you so much for being in the studio with me today. Thank you, Peggy. It's been fun. It's just been, just been a pleasure to have you on, and I wish you uh, well in, in your endeavors with the Youth uh, Sports and Wellness Complex. Uh, listeners, my guest has been General Michael Gould, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, brought to you every week by SSI Guardian. To listen to previous episodes, learn more about Dr. Peg's mental health and safety workshops, or to register for an upcoming VIP personal transformation retreat, visit drpegradio.com. You can also purchase Dr. Peg's books, Do Something Different for a Change, and Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog, online at drpegradio.com. And remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS for Living Well with Dr. Peg. Want to know everything Christian that's going on in Denver? Log on to KRKS.com today. KRKS.com. Local ministries, up-to-date concert events, and even the latest weather. It's all at your fingertips at KRKS.com. KRKS.com.